Anthony, welcome to Next. Great to see you here today. Glad you could join us. And we want to thank you for choosing to spend some of your Sunday here with us and Next at Grace Church. Because you could be other places and you could be doing other things. But you chose to be with us here today. Thank you for that. We want you to be encouraged. We want you to be inspired by what you hear today. And hopefully challenged and motivated to make some changes in your life as well. Podcasters, thank you for listening in wherever you are, whatever you're doing driving around town, you're washing the dishes, uh, probably not listening at work, but you might be on your lunch break if you are. Podcasters, thank you for joining in and giving us a listen. Today, we are going to endeavor to finish our series, Listen, Look, Speak, that we've been involved in since the beginning of the year. One final installment in our little mini-series within a series Me and my big mouth. Thank you again, Andy Stanley. So last week, let's practice our hand motions. I think everybody here knows. Let's practice our hand motions. Last week, everybody start off. Got your fist clenched up. We're going to be quick to listen, slow to speak. All right, that was pretty good, but let's have a little bit more vocal participation. Here we go. Quick to listen, (laughs) slow to speak. Yeah, don't do it like that. No, we're not doing it like that. It's down here, quick to listen, slow to speak. All right, we learned some things last week. We learned, first of all, we learned that words are powerful. Words are powerful. Uh, They're the most powerful things that we have, really, because we know words are powerful because words have shaped your life. The words that have uh, been spoken to you, over you, and about you have had an impact on who you are today as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a student, as an employee, those words that have been spoken over you have shaped you. And words will determine your direction, and they will determine the quality of your life. They'll determine the direction of your life, and they'll determine the quality of your life. Your words have that kind of power. Your words have that kind of power to shape the direction and quality of someone else's life. We also learned three things last week. We learned that words aren't equally weighted. Some words carry more weight than others. It's really hard to forget the hurtful words. Some, and we also know that the sources aren't, easily, aren't equally weighted. Some sources just carry more weight. And then we also learned that the recovery time from the wounds that are caused by words aren't equally weighted. I can, I can hurt you with a word and then immediately say more words. I can say I'm sorry, but that doesn't take away the hurt no more than me slamming your hand in the car door and apologizing for it takes away the pain of what happens. So words aren't equally weighted. The sources aren't equally weighted, and the recovery time isn't equal either. And then we spent a lot of time in James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12, where James said all of these horrible things about the tongue. He said that it's a fire. He said that it can't be tamed. He said it's set on fire of hell. And it can burn so much so quickly. It's a, he said it's a deadly poison. He said it's unpredictable. That's why we need a guard before our mouths because words are powerful, but our tongues are unpredictable. Words are powerful, but our tongues, our mouths are unpredictable, and they are capable of so much fire and doing so much harm with the poison that's in them. So that's why we need to be, one more time, quick to listen, 
and slow to speak. Yeah. And then James, the brother of Jesus, ends all of that imagery and he ends all of that metaphorical language and all of that warning and all of that urging to be careful with the tongue. He ends all of that with the end. That's it. No help. No, no Jason Cooper next steps. No, look, read this verse, do this step, post this on a mirror, and then put it on your Facebook page every day for seven weeks, and then you'll be cured, and your words will never, ever, ever cause any more hurt or any more pain, and you'll never do evil with your mouth again. James doesn't give us any of that. He gives us none of that, just the end. Almost like James is saying, wow, you have got a really big problem. Good luck with that which is where we pick up this week. So here's an important point. Key fact here. Uh, get this one down. For those of you taking notes, you know, Jesus likes it when you take notes. This is what you need to know. Knowing what to do, this is going to be revelatory to you. Knowing what to do isn't good enough. You know how to eat right or to eat better, however you're supposed to phrase it now. It's not bad food, good food. It's more nutritious food, whatever. You know how to do that. You know how to exercise. Knowing what to do isn't enough. The same is true with your mouth. Knowing what to do isn't enough. You're going to have to repent over something you've said at least one more time. At least one more time, you're going to have to repent over something that you said. You're going to have to work on this over and over and over again. So just settle it and cut yourself some slack that knowing what you should do isn't enough. But James doesn't even tell us what to do. So today, we're going to leave James behind and look to somebody else for some help. And his name is the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're one of those people who you're not even sure that you like other church people, then Paul is your guy. You can identify with the Apostle Paul because he didn't like Christians and he didn't like church people either at first. Uh, he didn't start up, Paul didn't start off as a Christian. He was a Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus, and he jailed and killed other Christians, kind of like some of you want to do. But he, Saul had this amazing conversion experience on the Damascus Road, and he, he had the original Damascus Road experience. You know, some of Paul's experience, it's still around in our language today. We talk about, oh, he had a Damascus Road experience, or he's blinded by the light. Okay, that, that happened to, to Paul whenever he was Saul of Tarsus. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going to jail the Christians there, and he has this experience where this blinding light sends him to his knees, it takes his vision, and a voice speaks to him and says, why do you persecute me? Calls him by name. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Heard the voice of God speaking to him. He said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. So he followed God's command. Whenever he goes to Damascus, he's healed of blindness, and he becomes a believer. It's a very powerful conversion story. And Saul of Tarsus who didn't like Christians, became the Apostle Paul and one of the greatest voices of the early church. He set up churches all over the Mediterranean and wrote letters to those churches 
that now amount to about two-thirds of the New Testament. So whenever you read books like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, those are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to churches that he had established in those ancient cities. And uh, we're going to read from one of those letters today. It, the book is called Ephesians, and that's the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that he established in the ancient city of Ephesus. And in that letter to the Ephesians, Paul talks to them about their mouths. So James left us hanging, right? Doom and gloom, fire and poison. See, you got to go. Good luck with that. But the Apostle Paul, he gives us finally a way forward and gives us a word picture that I really want us to focus on today so they can give us some leverage and use the power of our tongue and the power of our words in a positive way. So before we read some scripture, uh, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take uh, about the first seven to eight verses from Ephesians uh, and set it all up and give you some context because context matters. And then we'll look at four verses later on in the chapter that finally give us some instruction and some direction to help us deal with this dilemma that James left us in in regard to our mouths and our words. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 17. And this, so this is the setup. This is the setup right here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, and we'll go through verse 24. It said, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So he's writing, not to Jews, but he's writing to Gentiles. So a Gentile was everybody that wasn't a Jew. He's writing to Gentiles that live in the city of Ephesus that have become Christians. They left this pagan worldview, and they're still trying to sort through this whole how to follow Jesus thing. How do I follow Jesus? They didn't know because they hadn't been to Sunday school their whole lives. They had no context for that. They didn't even really have what we would consider a Bible. They had access maybe to some parts of the Old Testament law, and they had some, maybe some letters that had been written by the Apostle Paul. They didn't have a Bible. They hadn't been to Sunday school. So they're completely new at this Jesus stuff. And Paul is challenging the way that they are thinking because they had this pagan worldview. They, they believed in multiple gods. They were polytheistic. And so this worldview that they had, based on their belief in all of these gods, was reflected in their behavior. And so Paul's referring to they, whenever he says they, in other words, that group that you be, used to be a part of. They, that group that you used to be a part of, they, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They, they just, they don't get it. They don't understand. And separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. He said, the people that you're interacting with, you new Christians in Ephesus, the people that you're interacting with within your culture are ignorant. They're ignorant due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, that sounds like an insult. It's like, Paul, man, back off a little bit. But it's not. Paul's simply, he's making an observation. He's saying, the people that you're dealing with in culture, they don't know any better. Not ignorant like they're stupid, it's just ignorant. There's, not, there's knowledge that they don't have. They don't know any better because they can't see what you see. And they don't see the world the same way that, that you 
see the world. They haven't been exposed to what you've been exposed to. They haven't been exposed to Jesus and the love of Jesus and, and the teaching of the Spirit. They haven't been exposed to that. So in the Greek culture of Ephesus, they believed in like this pantheon of gods, many, many, many gods. And the, and the gods, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, were all about themselves. How many of you remember studying some of that stuff in, in high school or maybe in college about the Greek and the Roman gods? They're all about themselves because those gods, if you remember some of those stories, they did, they did crazy stuff. They would toy with people. Uh, they, 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 they sounded more like just regular old people than what they really sounded like gods. They sounded very human in some of their behavior. They would toy with people. They slept with each other. They had baby gods. They would cut other gods in half to create stuff. I mean, it's, it's weird stuff. But these gods were all about themselves. So polytheism was being like these gods. So it was every, every man for himself, just like the gods did. They looked out for themselves. They did what they wanted when they could. So that means that the people who followed those gods did the same thing. They did what they could when they could. So right, what was right, was determined by who had power. It was bad luck to be poor. Sorry, ladies, but it was bad luck to be a woman because women didn't have a lot of rights in this society. It was bad luck to be conquered because it was a winner-takes-all type of, of mindset. That's how their gods operated, so that's how these people operated. That's who, how these Ephesians that Paul's writing to used to operate. So Paul is doing like some, some really some paradigm-shifting teaching in this moment. He's saying, hey, that, that world that you were used to is very different from the world that I'm introducing you to. Following Jesus is a lot different from what you're used to doing. And your friends who still live in that world are going to have a very different worldview than what you do. And he continues, verse 19. He says, have you still talking about they, the, 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 old, the old people, the way you used to be? They, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. It was an anything-goes type of, type of world, morally speaking. So as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Paul's saying there's no behavioral expectations in that old culture of yours. Morally, sleep with who you want to sleep with. Steal from whoever you want to steal from. Get what you can. Morally, in that old world that you used to be from, there, there's... It's, it's just do whatever. They don't have the, the same rules that you have decided to live by. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. That's not the life that you've been invited to. You're learning a different way, you new Ephesian Christians. You're learning a different way from all of that. You're learning to live like Jesus. You're learning to live in such a way that you honor God in your body. You're living in such a way that you think of others first before you think of yourself. You're learning to live in such a way that you forgive just as you have been forgiven and forgive so that you can be forgiven. It's very foreign stuff to all of these Ephesians. Verse 21. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Now he's about to get with it. Y'all hang with me. Y'all doing all right? So I may be getting that like a glazed over look. Okay, just hang with me. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Take it off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. 
So Paul's saying, whenever I first came to Ephesus, I taught you something different than what you were used to. That old way of behaving, that old way of thinking, that old way of relating with people, that old way of running your business, you've got to take off your old self. Like a, like a big, heavy coat. You, you take off your old self. Take it off, why? He says, so that you will no longer be fooled by your deceitful desires. Because that old self is, is messing you up. It, it's fooling you. He actually, in the King James, uses the word corrupted. It's, that old self is corrupting you with a deceitful desire. You know what a deceitful desire is? You do. You do know what it is. A deceitful desire is a desire that you have that promises one thing and then doesn't fulfill the promise. Have you ever chased a desire like that? You chased a desire that there was, there was a promise on the other side of the desire, and then whenever you got what you wanted or you got who you wanted, and then the desire doesn't keep its promise. And when you were unfulfilled and still left feeling empty, you know what happened? That desire whispered to you. And we've all heard this before. And this is what that deceitful desire whispered to you. It said, next time. Next time. It didn't work out this time, but that was his fault. It didn't work out this time, but that was, that was her fault. It didn't work out this time because you're not quite making enough money yet. It didn't work out this time because the salesman lied. They misrepresented. It didn't work out this time because the realtor lied. They misrepresented. It didn't work out this time because the lawyer didn't tell the truth and it didn't get all told the way that it should have. But next time, that's what a deceitful desire does. Next time, it'll be different. But Paul says you're being fooled. You're being, you're being suckered in. You're being corrupted by deceitful desires. And he says, it's time to take that off. Time to take it off. Now, the word that he uses there in the Greek, take it off, it actually means to pack something up and take it out. Like you were going to pack up all of the garbage and take it out to the curb. To gather together and then take it out somewhere to dispose of it. That's the word. He's like, so you got to take that off. You got you to pile all that stuff up and you got to kick it to the curb and get it out of there. It's time to think a different way, Paul says. Because once you take it off, let's go to, go to verse 23. Once you take it off to be made new in the attitudes of your minds. In verse 24 he says, and to put on a new self. Created to be like God. Oh, here it is. Now we're getting to it. In true righteousness and holiness. He says you're created to be like God. Because in your old pagan way of living you lived like the gods that you served and it was anything goes and every man for himself and do whatever but now with this new way of thinking this new way of life since Jesus comes in you will be not like the gods but like God who invites you to address him as heavenly father who invites you to think of yourself as a royal son or daughter who loves you so much that he robed himself in flesh and then gave that flesh to be the supreme sacrifice for your sin by dying on the cross. 
He's not going to toy with you like the old gods that you used to serve. But he's going to love you. And he wants you to be like him in true righteousness and holiness. So, all of that was the setup. And all of that was the context. And now Paul begins to give us some specific instructions. And so he says, with all of that in mind, let me teach you some things. Let me show you some different behaviors. And one of the behaviors that Paul teaches is about our mouths and it's about our words. And here's how Paul applies that big picture of you've taken off one worldview where it was all about me, all about me, 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 me all the time, all about my desires and all about my satisfaction. You've taken that off, and here's what it's going to look like in real time when you do that. And here it comes. So here's the instruction. Y'all ready? Because he doesn't like... He doesn't play around. He doesn't dance in the ring. He just leads with a Mike Tyson left hook straight to the jaw. Ephesians 4.29, NIV, this is what he says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now we're back on topic. So he says, once you've put on this new self, once you've put on this new worldview and this new way of thinking, one way that it's going to manifest itself that you've done that is you're not going to let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Talk in the Greek. It's, uh, you've, you've heard this Greek word before. The, the word that he uses there is logos, and it literally means word, right? So he says, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Unwholesome there in the Greek, it's the word sapros, and it literally means rotten, corrupted, putrefied. And they used it to describe the smell of spoiled and rotten fish or spoiled and rotten fruit or an old pair of decayed, falling apart sandals with all that good foot, foot funk on there, you know? That, that's, that's the word that, that's used there, sapros. And it, it, it means anything distasteful. So Paul is saying, whenever you think about your words... As a Jesus follower who's taken off the old self and put on something new, whenever you think about your words as a Jesus follower, one who understands the power of words, do not let any distasteful words that smell like rotten fish come out of your mouth. And I love, I just love that imagery of the of the smelly and rotten fish so what paul is saying he's saying avoid fish mouth don't be like don't be this guy don't be like that guy what would it be like this is this kind of funny interesting little thought experiment what would it be like if we started calling each other on it you you hear your friend say something you're like uh, fish mouth you got, a, you got a bad case of fish mouth right there, buddy. Paul's not just saying, look, tell the truth. Everybody knows that. Even the pagans know you need to tell the truth. No, what, what Paul's saying, we're, we're raising the standard here. We're raising the bar of the expectation in regard to our language. He's saying, I want you to guard your mouth so that nothing distasteful comes out of it 
And he echoes what we learned from James the last two weeks. He says, do not let, do not let, say that with me, do not what? Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't let it. In other words, you're in charge. You're the one who gets to choose. I get to decide. My mouth is a gate. Guess who the gatekeeper is? Me. Your mouth is a gate. Guess who the gatekeeper is? You. And you only get to control one mouth. Yours. When distasteful words rush the gate, you got to shut the gate. You don't let them out. You avoid fish mouth by guarding the gate, by being quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, that's all of the negative. That, that's all the negative stuff. And now Paul starts to, to turn the corner. Verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk. Don't let any distasteful fish words come out of your mouth. Watch this next part. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. So he's saying after you've checked your words at the gate, after you've stopped the words at the security checkpoint and you've looked through their backpacks and you've looked through their purses to make sure they're not smuggling anything distasteful out into the real world, he said then, once you've done that, once you've checked your words, then only speak what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. Now, moment of transparency here. Whenever I read this, to me, might not be you, but to me, this sounds so nice. It sounds so gentle. It sounds so soft and so, so Christian. So unrealistic. I mean, can anybody actually live like that in the world? Can anybody live like that at your workplace and people still show up for work on time? Or people actually do work whenever they get there? What about in your house? Could anybody actually talk that way in your household and the kids still unload the dishwasher? Or at least acknowledge that you asked them to do something? Is that nicey-nice, soft, Christian talk? Even realistic, Paul, I, I, I don't know. And here's what, I don't, uh, here's what I don't want you to miss. The Apostle Paul's point is not be nice, although some of us could probably use that instruction and learn from that. But his point, it's even here in the verse, he's saying, I want you with what you say to be helpful. And sometimes being helpful means saying some hard things. I got one amen on that. But keep in mind, even whenever you say those hard things, they are to be helpful according to the needs of the person that you're talking to. So you consider the other person and what they need more than what you need to say. I'm going to try that again. Paul wants you to consider 
the other person and what they need more than what you feel like you need to say. Sound familiar? Quick to listen? Slow to speak. Then Paul gives us the most helpful word of all. He gives us a construction word, Brian. He says, only what is helpful in building others up. In other words, imagine every conversation like it's a construction zone, construction site. And when you leave the conversation, are they better off for having been with you? Can you imagine what would happen in your relationships? What would happen with your kids? What would happen with your wife? What would happen with those estranged family members? What would happen at work? If that was our guiding principle behind every conversation. Just a thought. If I talk to people based on getting their needs met. Instead of how I usually do it. Which is talking to people so that I can get my needs met. Paul says, let's, let's, let's try something. Let's try being like Jesus in our conversations and look out for the needs of others above our own. Now, look, I get it. I'm a words guy. I like to get the last word in. Anybody else? I like to get the last word in. I like to say my piece. I like to give them peace of my mind. I want people to know how smart I am. I want people to see how experienced I am. I want people to understand how much wisdom I have. I want to get my zinger in and let everybody know exactly how clever I am. And, and Jesus is like, wow, Jason, that's just like how the pagans live. You're talking exactly like a polytheist. Get what's mine. Every man for himself. I don't know, Coop, I kind of had some higher expectations of what you would do with those powerful words that I've given you. Let's finish. Verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, he's still talking about language. I know that that phrase gets tossed around a lot of different ways about grieving the Holy Spirit. He's still talking about words here. Don't make God say, come on, man. Why would you say that? Why, why, why would you do that with the words that I've given you? Don't make God grieve at what you say. Don't frustrate God's purpose in someone else's life by what you say. Because God's working in their life too. Are you helping? Then Paul goes on to the heart of the matter. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness. You can't be a builder if you're bitter. You can't be a builder if you're bitter. Because it affects the content and the tone of everything you say. And the only antidote, there's one antidote for bitterness, and it's forgiveness. What do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Why are you bitter? For most of us, it comes from words. Words that were spoken to us, 
words that were spoken over us, words that were spoken about us. Our bitterness comes from words more than likely. And people wrestling with bitterness are trying to pay people back that never did anything to them because they can't pay the person back who wounded them. So Paul says, you can't be a builder as long as you're bitter. You've got to forgive those people in your past so that you can speak words that build up to the people around you now. Let's finish the passage and then we'll close. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Approach them, talk to them, respond to them, forgive them, hear and understand them the same way God does to you in Jesus. Now, there's one thing that I feel like in my limited knowledge and probably a little bit of arrogance, but there's one thing that I feel like Andy Stanley left out of the conversation. And it probably has to do with our different church experience. But one thing that I didn't hear in Andy Stanley's presentation is the help that comes from the Spirit in guarding your mouth. The Holy Ghost... Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence, right? Speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost. That's just whenever you speak in tongues, that is the evidence that the Holy Ghost has come in. Yes? All right? So it's the initial sign that we saw poured out on those that tarried in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended. The initial sign that came was that they spoke in languages that they did not understand. The speaking in the other language, that's not the Holy Ghost. It's just the sign that the Holy Ghost is now living in that vessel, inside of that person. Now, James told us no man can tame the tongue. But God can. I find it so interesting that in this treatise where James talks to us about all of the things that are evil and can come out of the tongue and so horrible and it's so unpredictable and it cannot be tamed, but then the one thing that man cannot do, God does to show I've taken up residence inside of this person. And so the one thing that you can't do, which is make your mouth do what you want it to do, God says, I'm going to do whenever I come to live inside of you. And I'm going to take control of your tongue and I'm going to cause you to speak in a language that you don't even know. Want to set a guard before your tongue? Speak in tongues for a few minutes every day. I know it's old school. I know. I know it's not all hip and cool, Andy Stanley teaching where he's breaking down the Greek and throwing in all of the relevant psychology. I get that. I know it's old school Pentecostal. But it works. It works. By personal experience, it works. I find it easier to guard my words whenever I've been with Jesus recently and let his spirit take control of my tongue in prayer and praise. It's easier for me to guard my words whenever I've had that type of intimacy with him. Try it. Try it. And just see if it's not easier for you to put a guard 
in front of your mouth. And if it's not easier for you to be quick to listen and slow to speak. The work of the Spirit is powerful in helping us guard our tongues. Amen. Now, listen, look, speak, me and my big mouth. We are done. We're going to be moving on to something else, but I do want you to keep a few things in mind. First of all, uh, don't forget about our spaghetti dinner. I'm sure you can (laughs) smell that, right? Uh, Next week, there's going to be a little reception here. Uh, and we want to be able to uh, spend some time with some special people in a special event, and that's going to happen right after church on Sunday. So we are not going to have next in here next week. Next week, next Sunday, we will just join the adult class in the auditorium. So keep that in mind. And then the following week, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, we're going to revisit something that we did about three years ago now, um, But it's just been on my mind a little bit lately and come up in a few conversations. Uh, Some of you might have been here. uh, If you remember Mind Monsters, we're going to go back through Mind Monsters again, but we're going to tweak it a little bit. So it's going to be Mind Monsters 2.0, and I hope that you can be here for that, but just keep that in mind. Very, uh, very good series. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here today and to spend time with people of like precious faith and to be in your presence. I know you've got something in mind for every person here. I know that you've spoken to us throughout this series about what we're listening to, about what we're looking at and how we're framing things and what we're speaking. Lord, I pray that it would stay with us. Lord, help us to set that guard before our mouths. Let your spirit come in, Lord, into every life. And give us help, Lord, in using our words to build up, Lord, and not set fires and and, and disperse poison. We don't want to do that. We want to use the words that you've given us, Lord, to build up. up. Be with us today. We love you. In Jesus' name.